Welcome to the Mind Sensei Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and I'll be taking you on a journey to the world of martial arts and introduce listeners to some of the most aspiring and knowledgeable practitioners from around the world. Whether you're a seasoned martial artist or a curious beginner, or just enjoy hearing a great story, the Mind Sensei Podcast Down Under has something for everyone. So tune in, sit back, and let us take you on a journey through the world in martial arts. Welcome, dear listeners, to another enlightening episode of the Mind Sensei podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and today we have a true martial arts legend in our midst. In a very special two-part interview, we'll be delving deep into the extraordinary journey of Master Doreen DiRienzo. We embark on a truly exceptional journey. Our guest is an icon in the martial arts world, and her story is so vast and profound that we decided to dedicate two episodes to do it justice. In part one of this captivating tale, we introduce you to a martial arts legend who began her journey back in April of 1973. From those early days, she has not only earned the esteemed rank of 10th degree black belt in Ed Parker's American Kempo Karate, but also has shattered barriers as one of the first female 10th degree senior masters. Our guest journey is deeply intertwined with the history of Kempo. Having been a personal student of senior grandmaster Edmund Parker until his passing in 1990, Today, she continues to inspire us as a student of Grandmaster Gilbert Velez. Doreen DiRienzo, as one of the co-founders of Kempo International, has left an indelible mark on the martial arts landscape. Her teachings have reached far and beyond the shores of her homeland, with seminars and workshops conducted throughout Europe, Canada, Mexico and Chile. Her story doesn't stop at the dojo. Mrs. D. Rienzo's commitment to education led her to earn a bachelor's degree in physical education from Northeast University. Unable to find a teaching job, she took matters into her own hands and founded Revere Karate Academy, which has since impacted the lives of over 35,000 students. Part one of our conversation with Senior Master Doreen D. Rienzo will delve into her early years, her incredible journey throughout the martial arts world, and her experiences as a pioneer in the champion of women in martial arts. So fasten your seatbelts, be prepared to be inspired, because this is only the beginning of an epic tale of martial arts mastery and the indomitable spirit of one incredible individual. Welcome to part one of our conversation with extraordinary senior master Doreen DiRienzo on the Mind Sensei podcast. So sit back, relax, and join me in welcoming... Senior Master Doreen DiRienzo on his captivating episode of the Mind Sensei podcast. Welcome to the Mind Sensei podcast, Miss Doreen DiRienzo. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your time. I've got a lot of listeners that are very interested in hearing your journey. I understand you were the first woman 10th degree in the world. I'm in American sure. Kenpo. Yeah, there's so. others. There's others that, that are in other forms of Kenpo. And there's certainly many other art forms that have grandmaster that are female. I was the first one to do it in American Kenpo. But yeah, excellent. So, uh, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. I'm really looking forward to the interview to, 
to hearing your journey. Let's kick it off and just tell us about what inspired you to get started in the martial arts and how you got started. I was really athletic in high school and I decided that I needed to stay in shape over the summer. And after basketball season ended and just before softball season was ending, it was April 1st, 1973, I took my first karate lesson. I can't explain it. I couldn't explain it then, but I can explain it now. Something awakened inside my soul. And I couldn't do it enough. I couldn't get to class enough. I couldn't practice enough. I just loved the way my body felt when I did karate. And I knew I was where I belonged. I was in a class full of just like, they look like a whole MMA group of guys, rough and tumble, right from, you know, Revere is a very urban kind of city. So a lot of rough and tumble guys. I was, you know, I was the only female in my class. There were some that came in and out, you know, oh, they took a few lessons and left because they thought I was crazy. So I was the only girl in my school. And it was pretty interesting. I mean, they didn't take it easy on me because my teacher wouldn't let them. And if they did, he'd beat the crap out of them, you know, for not doing what they were supposed to do to help me train. So I was given no kindness because I was female. No, no, no leeway, no free tickets. No. Who was that instructor and what was the school that you first? His, his name was John D. and he called it John D.'s Kempo Karate Institute. So it was he Kempo. Studied it, well, it okay. was uh, called Kenpo, and he was under Grandmaster George Passari, who has passed. George Passari studied under Grandmaster Victor Sonny Gatskin, who was from Hawaii. Now, the interesting thing, this is a funny, kind of a neat story. There was a patch. I don't have it. It's in my office at my karate studio. Anyway, there was a patch that he had that was, it was a maroon red with the Buddha on it. You had to go and train with George Basari to earn this patch. And I was only 16 and my mom and dad weren't gonna let me drive down Rhode Island where he was from by myself. So I never got to earn that patch. Now fast forward 31 years later, it was April 1st, which made it kind of interesting. I was out in San Diego and I said, I saw this young boy wearing that patch and I walked up to him and I said, wow, where did you get the patch? And he goes, and before I know it, some big, huge guy walks over. His name was Brad. Nicest guy, but like him walking at you, like you hope that the, like the earth opened up and swallowed you whole because he was really intimidating. He goes, you got a problem with the patch? I said, no, sir. I, you know, and I explained who I was. I trained under this guy. He goes, George Passari, he says, you know, th th this Mr. Sensei Gatskin, I, I said, is he here? He goes, yeah, you want to meet him? I'm like, sure. He walked over to me and I never said a word. And he goes, he goes like this. This isn't the patch, but he goes, hi, Doreen. It's nice to meet you. And he handed me the red Buddha patch with the black Buddha on it. And I was like standing there like dumbfounded because I wanted this patch when I was a white belt 31 nice. years ago and I was presented it by the founder of the system and it made me feel like some sense of I was on the right path like you know like I belong I was right where I belonged I knew I was supposed to get that patch right and here's the really funny thing is that he grew up two streets over from Grandmaster Parker and they were in Boy Scouts together I mean, what are the chances of that? Like one, 
Yeah, person. that's like, crazy. You know, like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna grow up someday and teach the same person from Boston. It was really a surreal moment for me, and it gave me a sense of I don't want to say clarity, but it gave me a sense of confirmation that I was on the right path and I was right where I belong. Because lots of times. You know, being a, a female in this crazy circus, I say, why didn't I want to be a hairdresser? Or, like, you know, why didn't I do something? You know? Yeah. You know, anyway, how did I end up wanting to do karate? And so I, I just thought that was a really, it was a really amazing moment in my, my journey. If you've ever wondered about, are you on the right path? You know, there was your confirmation. So nice, anyway, nice. I thought it was, that's a pretty cool story. I think we, we spoke about this with Mr. Rainey. AC Rainey. We don't talk enough about the spiritual side of Kempo because finding if you're on the right path and it makes a change, you know, every time you step in and you do your training, it fulfills you as a person. You know, there's not enough discussion about that or, or acknowledgement, I think, that, you know, there is a spiritual side to it, but it's... Well, you know, we're taught that martial arts is a mind, body, spirit experience, okay? And we teach the physical most schools teach the physical and the mental because you have to remember and do your lessons and all of that. So where is the spirituality? And I've, I've asked myself that, and here is what I believe. When you immerse yourself into a process of self-improvement, you learn something about yourself. You become a better version of you because your confidence gets boosted and you know you start to feel like, hey, if I can do this, I can do that. It gives you a skill set that you might not have had before. I remember it was an old movie about Pete Prefontaine, who was an Olympic runner from California. He was like, like an arrogant cuss, and he was so talented, and he never ran from the back. He always ran out front, and he led the race from the, the get-go. He never tried to like play catch-up. And his coach was Bill Bowerman. Bill Bowerman was the founder of Nike. He used to hand make all of the sneakers for his athletes. And he put a swoosh on it, you know, the, the yeah, yeah. you know, Greek god, right? <clears throat> he said that running, becoming the best runner you can may never make you a million dollars, but in the process you will learn something about yourself that'll make you a better person. And I said, that's what we do every day. Saying to a kid, you can do it. I can, I believe in you. I'll help you through this struggle. Those are the kinds of things. And watching kids grow and, and students grow and become a better version of themselves. I even remember Mr. Parker saying that. He said his greatest hope was that people became the best version of themselves because they studied Kempo. I remember that. So me as a teacher, I teach the whole person. I, I believe in that because otherwise... You get those MMA type guys that I train with that could kick your ass, but didn't know when it was okay to do it. Nice. Your first instructor, that was John D. How long did you stay training there? That's another good story. I started with him in 1973. And then in 1982, right after I had just given birth to my first son, Anthony, he decided to leave karate. And he was, you know, became a born-again Christian. Okay. And that was in September of 1982. And then in January of 1983, we were invited 
to go and see a grandmaster in Boston. Actually, it was in February. I actually, I didn't want to go because I just found out I was pregnant again. So my boys are just 12 months apart. And, he, and I said, the last thing I wanted to do was get into a seminar and start training. I walk in, I stood by the door, and in walks this big, strong-looking man. And he walked over to me, and he stuck his hand down, and he said, Hi, I'm Ed. I thought, wow, he's really nice. So that caught my attention. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was just just taken in like I was I was drawn he you know he was a magnet like he was an energy magnet he I felt drawn to him so when it came time for the brown and black belts to train like I said I had just had a baby and found out I was having another baby so I wasn't in the very best shape in fact I could only wrap my belt around one still because Anthony was only six months old and I just found out I was two months pregnant he asked a question and this really this is what really did it for me he said to the class, now in the class was all men and just three women. So there's about 60, 70 people and just three women. He said, what's the difference between a hook and a roundhouse? So I, I raised my hand and he said, yes. And I don't know if you ever saw him, but he had this way of his eyebrows would like yeah. kind of jut out of his head. And he put his eyebrows down and he looked at me and he said, yes. And I said, well, a roundhouse hits you on the way out and a hook hits you on the way back. I didn't have the language about the apex of the circle and all of that, but I knew from having studied kinesiology, yep. right? Yep. And he put the chalk down and he walked over to me. Oh my God, he's going to hit me. I hope someone told him I'm pregnant. And he walks up and goes, you are absolutely correct. And he looked at the room. He goes, you men black belts going to let this female show you up? Oh, my. I was like, all my my guys were like, oh, that's our teacher. They were so proud that I knew the answer. And all the other guys were like, how did you know that? How did you know that? And I'm like, but he, I, I felt like he had a language. And this is true. He had a language to as a way to communicate the things that we we physically could do. He had a way to verbally communicate it instead of go, go like this, go like this. There was yes, a way to yes. explain it. Yeah. And I was just so drawn to it. I just couldn't wait. And I was grateful. I was, I was married, like I said, at the time. And, you know, he accepted my ex-husband and I, Tony Cogliandro and my, myself as students. And we became his students in 1983. Nice. And, nice. and I was very honored you know, he let me come out to his schools out in California, and I studied with Barbara Hale. She used to be married to Richard Hale, you know, and then I got to go out to the West L.A. school. You know, I got to meet Mr. Treo and I met Muhammad Tabatabai. And so I sort of kind of became part of the furniture out there. I guess they took a liking to me because I was really interested in studying. I didn't care about rank. I didn't care about all that. That's when I became his student, and he always came to Boston. And one of the things, the gentleman who hosted him, he said, you know, Mr. Parker's been on the road for so long. He said, do you mind maybe cooking a home cooked meal for him? And I'm like, I'm Italian. I'll cook for anyone that likes to eat, you know, <laughs> you know, so it was it's sort of in our DNA. 
So I made him my world famous macaroni and meatballs. And he just look, look, look at how big those meat and told everybody all over the world about my meatballs. And, you know, and every time he came, I had to make the salad dressing. For, it was just, it was a neat thing, you know. <laughs> nice. So he, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. I like that. Yeah. You then end up becoming a student of Mr. Parker's in 83. So I suppose, did you stay with him till 1990? Till the day he passed. Yeah. And I still consider myself a student of his. After that, I kind of wandered around a little bit. And then I asked Mrs. Parker, I said, you know, who would you recommend to study? And she says, oh, you could talk to Gilbert Velez from Tucson, Arizona, who, by the way, is my current instructor and has been for over 30 years now. Nice, nice. But the first time when I called him, I said, hi, Mr. Velez, this is Doreen from Boston. I said, I'm having a camp and I would like to know, would you like to come out and be one of our instructors? And he goes like this, no. And I went, <laughs> oh. I said, all right, sir. Well, thank you so much. And I, I hope, you know, maybe you'll think about it for another time. Now, in 1992, I graded from my sixth degree, and it was the first and only time that I put my own name forward because it was after he had died, and it was before Gilbert, Mr. Yep, Velez, yep. became my instructor. And my students, like, I had been a, a fifth degree for six years, and they were like, you have to do this. Everyone else is doing it. You have to do it. So I did. And I'll, I can tell you more about that. But that's when I saw Mr. Velez again. And he watched me do Kenpo. And then afterwards, I went up to him and I, I reintroduced myself. I said, hi, Mr. Velez. I don't know if you remember speaking to me. I'm Doreen from Boston. I said, I sure hope you'd reconsider coming out to my school sometime. He goes, okay. <laughs> and that was it. Did you ever ask him what the difference was? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You, know, you don't know? I really yeah. don't. You were just I happy? told him that. Yeah, yeah. I told him that story. He laughs. He laughs. It's a, it. He and I have a very, very good, close relationship. Still, okay. I talk nice. to him. I still take a lesson from him every week. Nice. Oh, we'll have to get you to make that introduction because he's on the list. There's a layer above my my generation of black belts. Yep. That were there a lot longer before me. That. One of my black belt guys wanted to do a thesis on people that actually study with Ed Parker. And a lot of them were like, weren't so kind. And he, so he changed his topic. He just was curious what it was like, you know, yes, what was yeah. it like to be with him? With Mr. Velez, what impressed you about him? My first lesson, he taught me how to do a horse stance for 90 minutes. And at that point in my career, I was fighting professional, you know, like I was on the Atlantic World Karate team. And here I am, like I was one of eight women in the entire country that was selected for this team and I could fight. And here I am getting a lesson on a horse stance. And, and it was his attention to the most incredibly small detail. It was, you know, him, you know, taking my pencil and shopping it. You know what I mean? And I'm just, I felt like at that point in my career, I was way past needing a pat on the back. Just please, someone tell me how to do it correctly. And he, you know, you talk about Huck not mincing words. I mean, he's even, there's just cut from the same cloth that way. And it's like, he makes sure my eyelashes go the right way. I mean, like he's, you know, that stickler for a detail. 
but that's what made my Kempo what it is today because of that. Here's another one. The second time I had a lesson with them, he said, let me see you do an inward block. And I did it the way I learned how to do it. And he goes, that's a pretty crummy block. And I'm like, I've been doing karate for like, you know, at the time was about 30 years. I said, and I do a pretty crummy block. I went. Way to boost your confidence, right? <laughs> and I said, most people would have said, you know, a few choice adjectives and maybe walked away. Some people would have had their confidence deflated, but I, not this girl. I said, I wanted to know why did he say that and what did I need to do to make it better? See, that's always been my approach to learning. I mean, you know, whatever the way the person comes at you, what am I doing incorrectly and make me do it better? Show me, show me. You know, I'm I'm all ears. Show me a better way. And he has no problem doing that. Nice, nice. When you were coming through training, I think I've mentioned this to you before when we've spoken, that back in the day, training was tough for a male. Uh, just for a female, I'd say it'd be near impossible coming through. There'd be a lot of challenges and stuff you'd have to face. How was your journey coming through as, you know, I suppose one of the only few females coming through the system? Well, what I'll tell you is this, is that the issues that women experience are a bit different, but they're no different today than they were back then. Sometimes men will see you as secondary or not as good as, or maybe someone they're trying to meet yeah. up with later on for a different activity. That's not anything different, right? But today, there are many more women martial artists and some incredibly proficient female martial artists that get incredible amount of respect from people. And it, that is different. Back in the day, for me, one of the things I was asked is, how did you do it? I said, well, I dressed up, showed up, and did my work. I didn't go, oh, don't, don't do that, and don't touch me that way. Or I just did what I was. everybody else did, no more, no less. And it was somebody, one time I was on an interview panel, and they go, was it harder for women back then? I said, it was harder for everybody. If I did some of the things to my students today that were done to me or my peers... Yeah. I'd get arrested and probably put in jail. If if he didn't like something you did, he 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 had this long stick with the boxing glove on the end of it. It was like yeah. a, a like a shovel handle. He broke the shovel off and put a boxing glove. He called it the magic wand. And he he'd smack you with it, punch you right in the face, hit you in the gut. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was pretty rough and if you couldn't take it, his philosophy was weed out the weak in the beginning. When those are the ones that really need your help. That's yeah. the way I look at correct, it. You know? Correct. We're not training people for the militia. You know, when they're not going out into the military and, and there's a different kind of training experience, you know, places for people that are. You know what I mean? Today's karate studios are more family based and the kids, there's like a ton of kids in your school. And very few grow up to be martial artists. You got a lot of karate students. But back then, I would say the hardest thing was if you were did something better than a guy, the next time they would try to make you look stupid or try to hurt you so that you, they could prove that they were better than you. Well, God put me in a pretty large, strong body, so that wasn't as easy a task in my case. 
I could dish it out just as much as I could receive it. So I was grateful for that. Looking back, I just did what I thought was right. And I worked my butt off. There was nothing magical about me being a, a you know 16-year-old girl with little ponytails on the side of my head. It was just, I loved it. I couldn't wait to get there. And I did what everybody else did. And that's what I think separated me from other women that might have come into school that were looking for activity off the mat. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Were, I do. Yeah. yeah. And then just to be clear, I like a lot of young girls experience the unkindnesses that a young girl could experience at the hands of people in the class that maybe the instructor and in my travels I've gotten to hear a lot of stories a lot of women share their stories you know one woman actually she told me her first instructor said to her you can earn your brown belt the easy way or the hard way so yeah, a lot of women yeah. were put in that position you can't do that today that they'll call the police you know it's just yes, yes. back then one woman came to me and she said I was told if I sleep with the master instructor, I would get promoted. You know, like, I mean, a lot of stuff that went on. It's unfortunate. It's just an unfortunate thing. But that kind of stuff is no different. It's just, yeah. it's handled a little bit it, different. It, it, that sort of culture, I mean, they say that the fish rots from the head down, right? So right. There, need, there needs to be change at the top for that to change. So Right. And, and like at my studio, I'm at the helm. I mean, my son, Anthony, really runs the studio now, but I'm still there teaching. Yeah. My students don't see female. They don't see male. They see students. And that's the culture that we've created in our school. There's no separation. We gave a pretest. I have a big group of kids that are going to be testing in New York next month. And the littlest, tiniest girl got in line with the biggest guy. And she picked him to be a partner. And I was watching her work her stuff. And I was like, she did a great job. And it's like, because that's what she's taught. There's no secondary, okay, yeah. put the little people over here, other women over there. And we don't do that. It's just the culture that you create. I've been in training camps. At one time, a guy, he sucker punched me. He sucker punched me so hard that I got a concussion. And then he said, oh, I thought you were supposed to be tough. I said, I was standing still to dummy, yeah. you know, yeah. and he goes, oh, I thought you were supposed to be tough. I go, well, yeah, I wasn't braced like, like I wasn't expecting to get hit. And it was bare knuckle and he yeah. hit me right in the face and he gave me, and he outweighed me by 70 pounds. And then I, I said to myself, that's the kind of thing that women experience, yeah. you know, that's not fair. Yeah, yeah. And then on the other side of it, now being a, an instructor, I mean, I walked into a seminar one time and these two guys were practicing. And I said, man, do you need some help? Can I, can I help you with that? And he looks at me and goes, no. <laughs> like, okay. So I just move along to the next person. I don't take offense to that because it's his loss. That's yeah. how I see it. You yeah, know? correct. Yeah. My best story about that is... I was teaching a seminar and a guy in the middle of the seminar raised his hand. He goes, how do you teach men? Just like that. How do you teach men? Did you call him up? I, no, I go like this. <laughs> I go like this. What I said probably hurt worse than if I punched him. But I, I said, well, I try to have patience. I said, sometimes they don't learn as quickly as women, but if they stick to it, they eventually do get it. And he looked at me and says, my answer was just as derogatory as your question. There's no gender in the dictionary when you look up teacher or student. 
A good teacher can teach anybody. Another time a guy called me out, he goes, I don't think what you're doing is going to work. Okay, I brought him up and I said, throw a punch. And I mimicked his, his technique. I said, how'd that feel? He goes, he looks at the class and goes, like a love tap. I said, okay, let me just show you what I'd like you to do. And I went and I lit him up and he uh, like knocked the wind out of him. And he goes, I've never been hit by a woman like that. And I said, well, congratulations. Let me be the first. And, and it's like technique, intelligence. I can out technique somebody who's stronger than me because yeah, I know the yeah. laws and rules of this, the system. I'm an old lady now, but, you know, back in the day, that's what I did. I could out-position. Out Overpower, that would be a stupid thing for me to try to do. When did you achieve your black belt, and how was that grading? Tell us a little bit about that. I actually got first-degree black belt in April of 1977. My first instructor awarded it to me because he felt like he had beaten me so badly in different times. And I already passed the test, he said, because of all that I endured from him through the years. And that's what happened. And okay. I never felt good about that, to be honest with you. I never felt good about it. I accepted it, but I felt like I had some work to do. You know, I remember that point, my ex-husband and I we, we were right out of college. We got married in 79, and we opened the school in February of 1980. We opened the school. So I had started teaching and competing, and I got promoted by him to second and third degree. Did you guys start, so he was training before you, or you met during no. your training? I was a brown belt when he joined. I was away for a little bit while I was in college, and he was training, and and then he tested for his black belt. So we both first degree black belts under this guy, John D. John D. promoted us up to third. Right. And then Mr. Parker promoted us to fourth and to fifth. And this is one of the things like, and I've, and I've not uh, shy about this at all. You know, people have said, I said, you know, Mr. Parker was trying to, I think, grow the IKKA. And he thought if he brought people in and promoted them that they'd stay loyal. And that's not why I signed up. And I remember the first time when I went out there to study in California. I'm not, I won't name a name, but the person who picked me up at the airport said, what rank are you? And I, was, I said, a fifth. And this person was, wasn't a fifth. So, you know, I said, they said, well, who promoted you? I said, Ed Parker. He said, well, why did you take? the rank. I said, because he promoted me. If he told me to wear a white belt, I would have wore that too. I said, I'm not here to get another rank. I'm here to learn the system. So going out to California, I think they were, you know, they were held to a different standard than other areas of the world. And that became a very sore so issue, point, you know, yeah, yeah. unless you prove like I did, like that you were really there to learn. The first lesson with Barbara Hale, she said to me, where do you want to start? I said, the star block. And she smiled because I said, I want to learn it from the ground up. Please, I want to, I want to know everything. Tell me everything. And so she realized that. Then one of the things that I was really good at back in the day, I was a really good fighter. 
I went down to the West LA school with my gear and I said, anybody want to do a little training? Because I was competing at the time. I fought every guy that was there was about 20, 25 guys on the mat. They all lined up and I spied with every one of them. And after that, like, they were like, wow, this, this woman's for real. Like, she's a real fighter. She can really do this. It's not like, you know, I was there like, oh, you know. Yeah. And it was good. It was really good. And I, I didn't do it for that reason. It's like, I just wanted a workout. As a result of my wanting a workout, I think I earned their respect as being real. Talking the talk, I could walk it. So anyway, so that was, I think that was the start of my relationship with all the people out from the West LA school. I, I made a lot of friends that I'm, some of them I'm still friendly with today. Nice. With the fighting side of it, what got you started into the sparring? And I understand you made, you, you mentioned before you made the na national team, was it? Or the yeah, we were required to fight. I mean, and there was no one else to fight except for the men. So I, I had to learn how to fight against those guys. And I remember my first tournament, the girl that I was fighting was crying and I lost. And I said, how did, how did I lose if she's crying? And I realized it wasn't like a fight. It was just a game. And I learned how to play tag. And I figured it out, and that's what I started doing, and I got really good at it. And I remember when we opened up our school in 80, I said, oh, I'll go, I'll compete, you know, set a good example for the students to compete. And then I kept fighting, and, you know, God rest his soul, he passed away about a year ago, Chuck Merriman, who was from Connecticut. He called me up, and he said, Doreen, I've watched you for years. He said, I'd like you to be on the Atlantic World Karate Team. We're going to pay all your travel expenses. We're going to pay you $300 per weekend. And if you win, you get a bonus. And I'm like this. I the phone. I went, are you telling me the truth? And why did you pick me? And he said, you have what it takes to compete on that level. And it was awesome. I mean, I got to train with like Billy Blanks and Nasty Anderson and Kevin Thompson and Anthony Price, Terry Kramer, you know, Chip Wright, some of the best fighters of our day. And here I am with these guys. And uh, Christine Bannon Rodriguez was on the team. Uh, Nicola Quist, Cheryl Nance, Kelly Anderson. I know I'm leaving some people out, but, you know, there was only yeah. eight women. It was like the most fun training with those people. Like the, my favorite memory is going to the training camps. I mean, we were dead dark tired, but it was like the best fighting ever it was awesome it was really awesome to train like that Did i remember you? the first camp i came home i sweated so much my black belt was soaking wet that's pretty intense yeah. So did you win any world titles or anything like that at all or um i won my share of you know uh first places they didn't really have women's grants so much back then yeah. but i did win a few i did win a few when they started having it, it was the lightweight versus the heavyweight um, I did win a few, and I won a few times out in California at the internationals. The sad part for me that happened when I did get picked for the Atlantic team, my ex, you know, he had just left. So it was like he left and I got called up for the Atlantic team. So my mental strength wasn't, wasn't great at that time, yeah. and I wasn't at my best. I really wasn't at my best with that kind of an opportunity. I just was not at my best. and. I tried my heart out, but for two years I was on the team. It was it was awesome, but I wasn't it wasn't at my best. 
I, I will tell you the truth. I really wasn't. But I did learn a lot and I got the great experiences. And I got to travel and it was really something. It was an amazing experience. Nice. So tell us a little bit about your school there and your lineage and yeah, how long you've been there. I understand you had a school forever. We opened the school in February of 1980. So we're there 43 years. And for me, I celebrated my 50th year in martial arts this year. That's um, Revere Karate. Is that what it's called? It's Re Revere Karate Academy. The city I live in is Revere. So we made it simple. Probably taught about 35,000 students throughout the years. And it's just been pretty amazing for me. It's like, I don't feel like I've been teaching for 43 years. It's like, I can't even imagine that I have been. It's just crazy, you know, when I think about it, all the people that I've seen and taught and lives I've had a chance to be a part of. It's just for me. It, and, you know, after all these years, people say, how can you still teach? I said, it still lights up my heart when I see a little kid get it or the cutest thing happened the other day, a little boy, very inquisitive little guy. He's only probably about eight or nine. He said, Mrs. C, why am I doing this right now? It was a twisted twig. And I said, well, every technique is a piece of a fight. If you learn enough pieces, you can put together a whole fight. And, and then, in fact, you can kind of pick which pieces you want to use and when you want to use them. He goes, it's just like Legos. <laughs> Gold. <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah. I said, exactly right. I said, you make the picture on the box, which is how the technique goes, and then you can kind of rearrange it whichever way you want. He goes, exactly. It was a beautiful moment. You know, like this little nine-year-old kid understood about the equation formula. I was like, oh, my God, it was adorable. Yeah. And I said, that's the lesson. Then sometimes you want to take the picture from this box, the picture from that box, and you mix it up a little bit. It was just a really, really cool thing. I go home with a big smile because I know that this little guy went home feeling like how smart he was. It was just a great moment. Yeah. The cute, another, another cute little thing. I had four little yellow belts. Okay, I was teaching them Mace of Aggression. And, okay, the person's going to grab you. You're going to grab them. What's that called? All four of them. A pin. Oh, my God. I was like, I couldn't believe it that they remembered when I taught them a pin from the pin, you know. And something I'm working on right now is developing a course on how to teach, not not what to teach, but how to teach yeah. something. How to deliver it. Yeah. Right. And, and I find that people say, oh, it's too hard to teach Kempo to little kids. I go, maybe no. for you. No. Maybe for you. Don't underestimate what a child will absorb. And if you teach baby talk to your kids, they'll talk baby talk. If you teach them Kenpo, they'll grow up and be Kenpoists. And that's the way, that's always been my philosophy. So, so, so your, son, your son definitely talks Kenpo then, right? Well, he was two and a half, actually, when I started him. He was a little, little tyke, and he wanted to come to karate with me, and he... I called attendance at the end of the class, and I said, anyone's name I didn't call? And he raised his hand. Yes, Anthony? He goes, here, Mrs. C. And I said, wow, at two and a half, he realizes I'm Mrs. C when we're here. So yeah. I started bringing him, and he's nice. and here he is. He's, he's going to be 41 pretty soon, and been doing it nearly 40 years. Pretty nice. cool. Nice. And by the way, yep. he's an amazing fighter. He's an amazing fighter. 
Nice. You mentioned before that you had teaching. Did you used to be a teacher before? Like, what did you do yes. for work and stuff? Yep. Well, right out of high school, I went to Northeastern University and I got my degree in teaching health and physical education. There were no jobs, so that's how we opened up the karate studio. There was no physical education job for me. And they were cutting back on non-academic things in school. So we opened up the school. And I remember I said to my ex, I go, I don't want to do that. That's crazy. And he goes, yeah, it's just like teaching gym. It'll be just like teaching gym. And I go, fast forward to 20, what was the year that 9-11 happened? I think it was 2001. My school plummeted because one of the planes left from Boston and a lot of the businesses got, you know, challenged because people didn't fly. So they didn't need as much food. They didn't use like every, it was like a, a trickle down effect. And yeah. I, in fact, I remember ordering uniforms and I said to the vendor, I said, I know names. I said, but what's the industry like? They go, no adults are signing up for karate. They, they sell all the kids stuff. I nearly lost my school at that time. And Grandmaster Velez said to me, why don't you go back to teaching school? You have your degree. So I put my name in. I said, let me see if I like it. I said, let me put my name on the substitute teacher list. They called me in five minutes, literally five minutes. And they said, come in. We want, we need subs. So I went in and the assistant superintendent said, who was someone I played softball with when I was a kid. So what are you doing here? He says, oh, I thought I'd give another try. She was got an opening in the phys ed department next year. Boom, here I am. I'm, I get this job as a physical education teacher at the middle school. And they moved me up to the high school. And then they asked if I would take over the health curriculum. So I ended up becoming the health teacher at the high school. And I did that for about 15 years. It was so funny. I just, when I decided to put in my papers to retire, it was February of 2020. To my husband, I go, I don't want to go back there. And then the pandemic hit and I didn't have to. <laughs> it was like, I had to do remote learning and all of that for the remainder of the school year. But I retired in 2020. Never realized that I was going to have to work this hard at the karate studio again, because my school at that time was humming. It was great. I went from 220 students to 16 on Zoom. Yeah, same. Thank God we had such a strong first quarter that it carried us through. Then I was able to get some of the government aid and all of that, kept the school going. I remember when we got up to 30 students, I was so excited. But now we're back where we were. So we're doing really good again, thank God. Nice, But nice. But the interesting thing is, like, People that would have been coming up being assistant instructors, we don't have that many because if you think back, it's 2023 now. So those people that would have started in 2020 would now be like green, brown, like your assistant instructor. We don't have that many. Yeah. yeah. We don't have that many. at that. But in the next year, I'll have a bunch. So yeah. it's just going to take a, a while to bounce back a little bit. So I, anyway. I, I think the pandemic also taught you who you your loyal students are. I sorted everyone out pretty quick. Yeah. It's funny. I have some kids that are testing, like I said, next month, and I'm reading their thesis about their journey. And they said, I remember on Zoom when Mrs. C made me put a sock so I knew which one to write. I said, move the foot with the sock instead of going, no, the other right. Like, And look at your lamp. Okay, now step toward the refrigerator. And, they, they you know, 
this summer I'm going to be teaching a seminar in New York. Actually, the title of it in my mind is Making Kempo Concepts Visible. And I came up with the idea because how do you do that when you're teaching on Zoom? I can teach you long form six on Zoom because I know how to do that now. I always thought I was a really good teacher. I became an even better teacher yes. because of having to yeah, adapt to a new format. So Yeah, it's like you're teaching on the mat. You can go through all the three different stages of teaching someone, but then you can physically touch them and get them to move the right way if they're not getting it. But on Zoom, you, you don't have that luxury. And then the thing of Zoom you've got to watch out is that if the video, it's mirrored. Right. So yeah. I can do every technique in the system on both sides of my body now. Yeah. So much yeah. that I, I don't remember the book version. So I don't remember which hand starts the book yeah. version sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I have one of my kids will go, Mr. C, it's the other side. I go, oh, boy, you know, yeah. like, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> nice, nice. They know, they know, because I, I was doing it. I go, okay, if, if I do this, they're doing delayed sword, I would use my left hand and every other technique like that. Yeah. So, so have you studied any other martial arts at all? Not really. I did a little bit of, you know, a few classes in Sistema. Very yeah. few. I wouldn't say that I know anything about Sistema. I really liked it. I was first introduced to it by my friend Martin Wheeler, who's an yep. amazing Sistema practitioner. I've he's already amazing. I've already interviewed Martin. He's up yeah, actually he's, after he's, after AC, I think. He's awesome. He's awesome. I'd noticed as your logo, black and white uh, picture. Is it the school logo? Oh, that's the Karate Studio emblem. Yeah, that's our Karate Studio emblem. Is that the so, Karate Academy? So what is that? So, is that a- well, we picked the eagle. Because this is because we're in America, and the three lightning bolts, because that was from my first teacher, mind, body, spirit. Every Kempo I know has more skills than just Kempo. You know, some most times in musicians, they have other skills that they master. For me, I think I love to cook. That's probably one of my little hobbies that, you know, I try to make different things. So I like to cook. I love to bake. I like to write. I've been writing a lot. Do you have any you books know, that are coming up or do you have any books you've I'm released? I'm working on, on one right now. Uh, Michael Miller um, yep. is helping me. He's the co-author. And, uh, well, he's, you know, helping me, you know, to write. I'm not sure how you title him, but he, we've been working on it for a while and I've, I've had to put it on pause because of the tournament yep. it's nearly done it's nearly done what's but the it, name what's of it, it is, about it's, it's my journey but it's not just about karate it's basically it's called i'm not too fat to dance okay nice growing up an italian family where your favorite sport was eating there's a lot of eating i always make a joke and say i grew up on the three food groups pizza pasta and bread and i was round very, you know, chubby. And I was made fun of a lot. Basically tells a story of something that, that happened to me and how I identified it, how I got through it and words of encouragement. So it's basically how yeah. you overcome worst Self, times of your life. Self-help book based on your story? I, I don't know if you'd call it a self-help book. It's not that. It's just a, a story yeah, yeah. of what I went through. You'd be surprised though that your story will provide self-help to people when they read it. Yeah. Yeah. Words of encouragement because, you know, it's like 
being told my whole life that I can't do this because I'm too fat. I can't do this because I'm a girl. I can't, you know, I can't do this because women don't can't do that. And oh, your husband left you. How are you going to take care of your kids and your house and run a business? I look at them and I go, watch me. Yeah, yeah, correct. And that wasn't like I might have been scared to death, but I that expression you feel the fear and do it anyway. It's nothing wrong with being afraid. In fact, if to quote a very famous uh, boxing coach, Customato, he said, the only difference between a hero and a coward is what they do when they're afraid. Well, they say courage is not the absence of fear. It's what you do when you when you have exactly. fear. Yeah, definitely. Nice. So you do dance then? <laughs> I love to dance. Okay. I, I, in fact, I took ballet and jazz for a little bit, you know, because... I wanted to dance when I was a little girl, and the girls in the neighborhood told me I was too fat to dance. Oh. And when I went home and told my mom, probably, you know, trying to protect me, she goes, well, you know, people make fun of chubby girls if they try to dance. And instead of saying, you want to dance? Let's dance. And the truth of it is, it wasn't wrong, because what do people do when they see today? It's different. Yeah. It's a whole different ball of wax today. Everybody does what they want. They, you know, you look at supermodels, they're not all skinny anymore. They're round and voluptuous and beautiful women come in all shapes and sizes, just like beautiful men do too. I remember, this is a cute story. When I was teaching health, the kids would have to do their term project. And this girl did body image over a hundred years. Like, And she showed how every decade there was a different body style. And I remember one girl walking up going, I was born in the wrong decade. And I go, me too. And we would, and I would say to the kids, like, you know, when I was growing up, the supermodel of the day's name was Twiggy. I said, what do you oh, think yeah, she Oh, yeah, I know was? Twiggy. She was on my yeah. wall. Yeah, yeah but, but she was like a twig. I had a better chance at looking like a trunk, you know, and the kids would laugh. But then after the, that late 60s, in the 70s, you saw a huge spike in eating disorders in girls. And that happened because... You're trying to attain something that's absolutely impossible. Correct. Another thing, I just had this discussion with my husband. I said, you know, this whole thing about transgender and everybody can be what they want to be and do what they want to do. And I said, that's because society screwed it up. They assigned traits to genders, like saying, because if you're strong, you must be male. Why can't you be a female and be strong? Oh, if you like cooking, that's a woman's kind of thing. Men shouldn't be... Well, what about some of the greatest chefs in the world? Why can't you be a male ballet dancer who's magnificent? Why is that, you know, labeled a feminine? So it's the way that they assigned attributes definitely, to definitely. gender, you know. Yeah. And, and the truth of it is, would I have been considered a, a transgender because I could throw a ball further than everybody in my school except for two boys? That's, but yet I was laughed at because I could. Oh, look at you. You think you're so strong. Well... What's wrong with that? Like, but yeah. I was made to feel like there was something wrong with that. That's the the sad part. It's like, like I said earlier, you don't look up teacher in the dictionary and it's not, oh, all teachers are women. It's There's no gender in the. I think that mentality and stereotyping is a, is a little bit old in terms of it's a bit antiquated. Right. I mean, any- no, but I would say, like to my students in school, like we would have to teach this unit on equity and teaching tolerance. And I would say to them, I'd write on the board, tolerance, acceptance, respect. 
I said, which is it? And they would look at me. I said, look, you don't have to tolerate anything. You don't have to accept anything, but you do have to respect a person's right to live their life the way they choose, how they pray, how they worship, what customs they follow. I said, that's a person's prerogative. As long as it doesn't interfere with the way you live, you have to respect their right to live in their own way. Correct. And that that's yeah. it. It's like yeah. that simple. Like, yeah. why make it like... It, there's always this and always this one. And the, they always this, like to complicate it, don't they, with all different they've, terms. They've and, complicated it. It's all about respect. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up part one of our captivating interview with Senior Master Doreen DiRienzo. In this episode, we've touched upon the early chapters of her martial arts odyssey, her dedication to the art of Kempo, and her pioneering role as one of the first female 10th degree senior masters. But there's so much more to explore in part two, so please stay tuned for the next episode as we delve even deeper into senior master Dirienzo's remarkable life story. Contributions to the Kempo International Organization and the philosophy that has guided her to the path of greatness. I want to extend my deepest gratitude to Master Doreen DiRienzo for sharing her wisdom and insights with us today. And of course, thank you, our loyal listeners, for joining us on the journey of discovery. Stay tuned for part two coming soon right here on the Mind Sensei podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Mind Sensei podcast on your favorite platform so you don't miss the thrilling continuation of this extraordinary journey. And if you've been inspired as I have, Please consider sharing this episode with your friends and fellow martial arts enthusiasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. Until next time, stay curious, stay inspired, and keep cultivating the art of self-discovery. And for those of you wishing to reach out to Master Doreen DiRienzo, she can be contacted at Revere Karate Academy, 351 Revere Street, Revere, Massachusetts, United States. Studio phone number plus one seven eight one two eight nine nine five three five. Email at rkainformation at gmail.com. Also their website at www.reverekarate.com. They can also be found on Facebook at Doreen.DiRienzo, D-I-R-I-E-N-Z-O. Also their Facebook page at Kempo International and also their Facebook page at Revere Karate Academy. Links will also be available in our show notes. I'm your host Peter Taz and you've tuned in to the Mind Sensei podcast from Down Under. We want to take a moment to thank all our listeners for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. We appreciate your support and hope our show has been both informative and entertaining for you. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know when we release new content and you'll have access to all of our past episodes. We also encourage you to visit our website at mindsensei.au where you can find additional resources related to martial arts. On our site you can read blog posts, videos and learn more about the guests we feature on our show. 
Finally, we'd like to thank our guests for sharing their knowledge and experience with us. Without their generosity, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you again for listening to the Mind Sensei podcast down under. We hope that you continue to join us on this journey through the world of martial arts.